We're starting a new series, and it's focused on the spiritual disciplines. And I want to make this series as practical as we can in a teaching posture. You know the rules here. You can raise your hand anytime, object, disagree. Tonight's an intro. I want to just introduce the subject and get us kind of focused on what we're going to be talking about. What is exactly this concept of spiritual disciplines, and why are we going to study it? Isn't this something that every other group studies? I mean, maybe you've studied it before. How many people study the spiritual disciplines before somewhere else? A lot of us have experienced them and done them, and I, I want to do them just a little bit differently, or at least tweak the focus. But let me start a little bit with why we're going to do this. We justify all of our series at the beginning with explaining why we're going to spend God's time doing it. So here's some reasons I've put up on the board. First of all, the Christian life is often described as a race. It's one that we need to be fit for. It's one that we need training for. And the spiritual disciplines are some of the best training that we can get to run this race and to finish well. So that's what the spiritual disciplines do. That's one of their functions. Here's another thing. Ancient Christians, dating back to the 3rd century and even before, practiced the spiritual disciplines. And then they were lost for a while to us. So we have to look back and think, if the ancient church of ancient Christians, if our church fathers practice these disciplines. Whole groups of people went out into the desert to practice the disciplines together and to live life by practicing the disciplines. We should learn from that. We have a tendency in the church to always want to reinvent everything or invent things for just our time without realizing that, you know, Christians who came before us, they may have had great insight into things and we need to look back. We have a bad habit of kind of limiting our, our view of Christianity to only what we currently are doing. So we should look back and say, why were they doing these things? What can we learn from them? Here's another one. The disciplines are practical tools. There are a lot of things we talk about in this group that people ask, how do I do that? How is it possible for me to do that? They're practical tools. It's the reason that I've put up this image of a toolbox that we're going to use kind of as our series. There's a toolbox here because each one of these things can be a practical tool that we can select at the appropriate time and use for what it is we're trying to accomplish. And I think we need to learn to look at it that way. Lastly, too many Christians see spiritual disciplines as a burden. We see them as just one more thing we've got to do in an already busy schedule. We see them as a legalistic task that you've got to check off, like, yes, I'm doing this, yes, I'm doing that. Most of us who have tried to practice some of the spiritual disciplines have probably been overwhelmed. We've got enough going on in our lives without somebody coming in and saying, by the way, here's eight or 12 or 16 more things you should be doing as a Christian. And it puts us in a posture where we end up doing none of them. How did that happen, by the way? First, the reason that we got confused, in my opinion, this is my humble opinion about why spiritual disciplines are so hard, first is because they make a great series. You know, like you've got a number of spiritual disciplines. Every week you talk about one. So every pastor in the world wants to do them all together. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to do them all together. But here's where we, sitting there and listening to our pastors, have gone a little bit astray. We got the idea that we have to be doing all of them all the time. So we just end up doing none of them. Because the first week they go, hey, let's talk about fasting. You go, okay. You know, they tell you what you got to do. The next week they're like, now we're going to talk about prayer. You're like, okay, like you start doing this, right? And after a while, you just end up going, God, just forget it. 
is too much. So they made a great series, and we put them all together, and we forgot to communicate that maybe you don't have to practice them all together just because they come really neatly packaged into an easy-to-digest series. So that's where we get this message that we should learn about them all and then put them simultaneously into practice. So I have this image up here of what ends up happening with these tools. We start to juggle them into this act. Here's a guy juggling tools, you know, throwing them up in the air, trying to figure out, like, how do I keep them all going? How do I do fasting in this discipline and that discipline and simplicity? How do I throw them all together and do them all at the same time? But if they're really tools that we're supposed to use, we need to kind of select the right one for what it is we need at that time. So I'm going to offer humbly that way to look at them as tools in a toolbox that we select to do the right job. The disciplines are often taught also as an end in and of themselves. So we get the idea sometimes that the way we're supposed to live is just to live in that discipline, and the discipline is the end goal. I, I don't believe that. I believe the discipline that we're going to look at is going to be a tool to get us to a certain thing. What's the ultimate goal? For us to be disciples of Christ, to follow him to abide, and to bear fruit. And the disciplines help us to do that. But they're not the end goal by themselves. And then when we teach the disciplines, we often fail to explain some things. We've had people in this room who've objected to sometimes when we've talked about certain disciplines, like, why do we have to do that? I don't understand the point of it. And that's probably because we've never taught them in a way that explains some of these things. When's a particular discipline useful? Why would we want to practice it? How could it help us achieve that result? What symptoms do we look for in our own lives that tells us, hey, maybe it's time to start practicing that discipline? So what I'm trying to push for is to find the right tool for the job. Maybe it's a little simplistic of an example, but it helps us to envision that rather than us being people who are going to juggle this over and over and over, that we're going to be people who are going to spend more time trying to think, is this right? for what I'm going through. First, let's look at Hebrews, because I want to look at some scripture before I give you an example of a discipline. If you have your Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Here is a description of how we are supposed to run this race that Paul describes. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. That's the image of the race that we're trying to run, to take off the heavy things, put them off so that we can run better unhindered. Imagine trying to run a race with a backpack full of bricks on your back. Just the feeling that you have of wanting to just shed that so that you could actually run. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. This is talking about the type of fitness that we need to have to resist sin, to shed off the sin that entangles us, get rid of those things that hinder us, and to train physically. Now, to be clear about the context, Hebrews goes on now to talk about discipline, but
But the writer of Hebrews is not talking directly about spiritual discipline only. He's also talking about the times when God disciplines us. But spiritual discipline is a way for us to discipline ourselves before it's necessary for God to discipline us. The writer of Hebrews goes on to explain how discipline shapes us and how we train through it and how we persevere and come out better as a result of it. Spiritual discipline does the same thing. We can train and come out better at the same time. So moving down to verse 11 and 12, the writer says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. It's a discussion about strengthening yourself for the race. Yes, through God's discipline, but it's no less true through our own discipline. If you would also turn to John 15, I want to read that briefly. I don't have it up on the screen, but John 15 is a discussion of the vine and the branches and how we are to abide in Christ. Jesus says, starting in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. A stern warning that we should be fruitful and we have to abide. Here's why. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. A full discussion of the beauty of this text is probably beyond what we're going to do tonight, but I want to point something out. How is it that we bear fruit? First, if we don't bear fruit, we're cut off and thrown away. Kind of a harsh warning. But how is it that we bear fruit? By abiding in Christ, by remaining in him. How do we remain? How do we dwell? I'll offer to you that the spiritual disciplines, especially the ones that focus on prayer and fasting and spending time before the Lord and reading his word, abstaining from certain things for a certain time to dwell with him, the disciplines of silence and those kinds of things are ways to remain and to abide so that we can continue to bear fruit. How else can we do that? In our hurried and busied world, unless we set aside time to dwell and remain and abide, we don't find that we can bear any fruit. So I invite you to read the rest of this passage and look at it carefully and see if in these disciplines that we start to talk about, if they can help us to remain and abide in Christ, then they're doing very valuable work so that we could be found in the end to be fruitful. Let me give you an example. This morning at New Song, when I was preaching, I was talking about a specific condition of money and talents. Some of you were there. It really dealt with how much it is that materialism, living for ourselves, stifles and chokes us from being effective Christians. It makes us unfruitful. They talked about how in the parable of the sower, Jesus said that some of the seed fell among the thorns. It went in, it came up, but it was choked by the deceitfulness of wealth. That's what he said the thorns represented in his parable. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choked out the seed, choked out the plant so that it was unfruitful. So, if that's your symptom, 
then I'm going to recommend the discipline of simplicity. Let me try to make it practical. I've put up on the screen here, first of all, the discipline of simplicity. Like, what is it? First, it's taming our need for possessions. It's an attitude of generosity and modesty. It's an attitude of frugality, what people have called voluntary poverty. Paul Thigpen is a writer and a theologian, and much of his description of these disciplines is included here. He coins that phrase, voluntary poverty, a way for us to put ourselves in that position. For how long? Well, as long as we need to, because here are some of the symptoms that you might find yourself struggling with. Some symptoms would include, for example, maybe you find it yourself that you're struggling with materialism, greed, envy, pride. If you see that in you, you think, maybe I need the discipline of simplicity. Maybe you spend your time storing up treasure for yourself here on earth, living for yourself. You identify that and you see that in you. Maybe a lot of your time and money is spent just maintaining the things that you have. They become distractions and weights. Remember, we're running a race. You've got to put off the things that are weighing you down. And sometimes we recognize that our stuff takes so much time and energy and money to maintain that it's weighing us down from being people who are really running and running with speed towards the prize. It's choking us out. Here's some other things. Maybe you rarely give or give very minimally. You're preoccupied with money and finances. You're accumulating debt. You regularly shop for things you want but don't actually need. You project an image through clothing, clothing, cars, electronics, other items that are pushed by our culture. That's how you define your identity and your image. Your purchases continue to pile up and clutter your life. You need to continually accumulate things to feel content. If you had those symptoms, you might be suffering from what, I, what I've heard refers to as affluenza, right? You have that affluent society that we have, and you have affluenza, and it's spreading. That's the symptoms. Anyone have those? Yeah. So here's what I'd want you to do, for example. Look at those things and think, are any of those true? This is one of those radio commercials that go, do you suffer from any of these things? And you need this, like, miracle cure, right? But here's the point I want to make about this. This may be for a limited time in your life. We go through seasons in our life, don't we? There's times when maybe we're more materialistic than others. There's times when we catch ourselves more worried about financial things than other times. There's times when we're more prone to medicate on shopping, medicate on things. There's times when we look around and go, what the heck, where did all this stuff come from? More than other times. And that's what's important about this, is it may be for a season. That season may be short. That season, when it comes to something like materialism, though, may be a long time. Materialism, and those of us who suffer from it, myself included, it lasts for a lifetime. It's not a disease that goes away. It stays with you. You're constantly fighting it back. So I recommend, for example, simplicity. Here's some ways that you might practice it, practically speaking. Not just in theory, like you might actually do these things. Track your spending. I've challenged people to do that in this room. They've come back and reported some pretty amazing results. Like, I had no idea what I was spending. Like writing everything down to find out what it is. Maybe not just the amount, but just what it was. To remind you of like what you don't need. 
Consciously minimizing spending and abstaining from new purchases. Living with what you currently have. Like going on a spending fast. And saying, I'm going to pretend in a posture of voluntary poverty, I'm going to pretend that I cannot buy anything that is not absolutely necessary, or even just anything at all. Can I make it three or four days without buying anything? Is that possible? You know, fill up your tank in advance, all that stuff, you know. Just so you're not calling me going, hey, you idiot. You know, I followed your advice and now I'm stuck on the freeway. Come get me. <laughs> Whatever it takes, try it as a practical discipline. Simplicity is categorized usually under disciplines of abstinence. Disciplines of abstaining, kind of like fasting, but they last for a longer period of time sometimes. Their discipline of simplicity could last for years. Be intentional about increasing your giving while you're decreasing what you spend on. In fact, swap them out. Replace them. Decide like, I would have spent $12 buying lunch. I'm going to actually give $12 away. Ultimately, not being materialistic is not about seeing who, you know, you're not going to get to heaven and go, hey, Jesus, I was able to live on just $2 a day. You know, I win. The idea is living on $2 away so you can give away $100 a day. That's, that's who wins. Not the one who just goes, hey, I was the cheapest person around. It's like, right, yeah. Christians don't get credit for being cheap. That's already built into our DNA, all right? You guys have heard of people talking about, and I've talked about it in our money series, about the latte factor, like the amount of money we spend every day just going to Starbucks or some coffee place, like just say, you know what, I'm not doing that, but I am going to give that away. Or I'm going to replace something else that I would normally do. But try fasting from spending. Try the fast and see, could I go for a number of days? If I had to, if just all of my bank accounts were frozen, would I, you know, take a bag of lunch somewhere? Like that's, that's a radical concept. <laughs> the old bologna sandwich, you know? <laughs> okay, don't get carried away, John, you know? <laughs> you know? Don't go to the bologna sandwich. That's, that's not even scriptural. How about this? Here's some practical tips. Take an inventory. This is now moving from money to stuff. Take an inventory of what you own. Just start actually doing this. This won't cost you anything, just a lot of time. But I mean, take an inventory of what you own. Literally open up your closet and start writing down like 17 pairs of pants, 14 shirts. Oh, just write that down just to know what you have. You know why the discipline of simplicity is so important? It's not just because it keeps us from spending more, but it really is true that it costs money to maintain what you have. Look at the things that you could throw out or give away. Sometimes there's some things you could just throw out. I mean, they're just, nobody's going to want them, but they're just taking up space. There's families I know that rent storage units to store stuff they don't want. You've heard me talk about that before. Storage units where we spend $100 a month to store stuff we don't want. I mean, that's silliness. You tell that to people in another country of the world who $100 is what they make a month. Tell them, yeah, sure, we just store stuff we don't need and spend $100 on it. Like, get rid of the stuff, give the $100 to people who need it in another country. Sponsor like five kids with that. Give away the things you don't need. Eliminate clutter and things because, look, there's also a distraction. It doesn't just come in money maintenance but distractions come in maintaining things. Here's a concrete example. I was reading a book about this discipline of simplicity where the person was counseling, buy a smaller house. Not just because it costs less, but because it costs less to maintain. If you have a huge lawn, for example, you have to actually spend time taking care of it. You're either going to hire a gardener to do it or you're going to spend an hour or two every Saturday mowing the lawn. You could spend an hour or two with Morgan at the homeless ministry every Saturday instead of mowing the lawn. 
The more stuff we maintain, the less time we have for God's purposes. The bigger home you have, the bigger stuff you have, the bigger this, the bigger that, you have to maintain more stuff. It just takes away time, if not money. It does take money, but it can take away time from valuable things that we could be doing for the Lord. Again, we'd have to swap. Some of us, if we didn't have to mow the lawn, we'd just watch TV for an extra hour. This is only practical if we actually use it for the right purpose. Commit to a more simple life that's easier to maintain overall. The founder of a group called Word Made Flesh just wrote a book about simplicity. Word Made Flesh is an organization that works with the poorest people in, in many countries. They work with street kids and orphans in many, many different countries around the world, most of them third world countries. He's a leader of his organization. He's, he's pretty young. I think he's in his 30s. Might even be younger than that. He's traveled from country to country. The premise of his book is, I've seen too much to live anything other than the most simple life I possibly can so that everything I have will go to the people who need it the most. Is that practical enough? Because... Normally, we just talk about the discipline of simplicity. We say why it's good, but here I want you to identify those symptoms. Do you feel some of those in us? They're, they're in me. Now, again, I don't want to get into this thing where every week you're going to be trying all of them and then you'll do none of them. I want you, as we go through this series, to consider which one of those hits me the most? Which one do I need to work on right now? So maybe you want to sit back for a while and just listen to the different ones and then look at that whole toolbox at the end and go, you know what, this is the area in my life that I need the most help with right now. And this discipline will help sharpen me to do that. That's what I hope to do with this series. Yeah. Yeah, I like your idea of, you know, that there are different tools for an end, and obviously that would be, you know, Christ-likeness or knowing God and more different things. I also have a strain in me that feels like a lot of these are a certain way of life. So, for example, especially like prayer. It's hard to look at prayer and be like, well, you know, like, I'm not really in need of prayer right now. You know, I mean, that, that to me is like, well, I mean, there's, you know, there's good scriptures that say pray always in all circumstances, you know, continually. And so you sit there and say, you know, I can understand, okay, I need to enter into a more, um, a more focused uh, pr times of prayer because my life is so weak in prayer field. Um, but I also don't think, I mean, I think in a way, none of these you can ever scrap or you can ever say, well, I, I achieved that, you know, check, I don't need prayer anymore check, I don't need simplicity anymore, because a lot of them seem to promote a biblical way of life, if you will. Yeah, that's good that you feel that way about prayer, first of all, because I was hoping you would cover that one when we got to it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also, there are some that are for shorter seasons and some for longer seasons. That's a good pushback. Like fasting is probably one that's for shorter seasons, right? <laughs> Prayer is probably at the other extreme, where it's a constant, right? Worship, it's a constant. But there are going to be some that are somewhere in the middle, like entering into times of silence and, and listening postures. may not be something we do every day, but may, need, may be something that we don't just do every two years. Simplicity is something that I think lasts, can be a lifestyle, and may need focus time, and may need also just kind of times when it's in the background but still going on, because materialism never leaves us. Randy. I really don't think we can make them like a way of life until we start learning to use the tools in the first place. Like if you're not doing it already, once you start using tools, then it can become a way of life. But like, it's not just, oh, this is my way of life now. Start using the tools and see how they work. 
Yeah, and that's good too because what happens when we've taught the disciplines of the church many times is you get a zero to 60 mentality. Like, understand what simplicity is? All right, everybody shed. You know, you're like, whoa, wait a minute, but I have like 400 pairs of shoes or, you know, like whatever it is, okay? It starts, like you said, by learning how to do it. Most people counsel that you should try it in small steps first. Like even, an easy one is fasting. They are like, don't do a three-day fast right from the beginning. Like that's not going to work. Try fasting one meal. Try fasting from something for an extended period of time. Try that, but don't stop there. Just try it, see how it works, see how that feels, see what that's doing. By the way, there's always a swap, it seems. Like just fasting, it's good, but like if you fasted and took that time or took that money and gave it away or took that time and prayed with it, you exchange it for something like, hey, I'm working on that discipline of abiding, of spending time and using it. But again, you start slowly and you build. Why? Why do I say that? Because they're lifelong habits. You need to slowly do it. And maybe that once you understand how it works, then it does become more of a lifelong practice. Yeah, Peter. Yeah, I think the disciplines in my, in my past, I've been utilizing them, they're kind of difficult in the sense that they can quickly become idols. And I know in kind of the preceding slides, we talked about, you know, kind of one of the fallacies with disciplines is that they become an end to themselves. Foster puts it this way in Celebration Discipline. He talks about disciplines putting us in a place where Christ can shape us, where the Holy Spirit can move in our lives, where, yes, we are cluttered, but it does get very difficult because you can be like, well, no, I just need to simplify. I just need, you know, to pray. And this is what is going to do. And ultimately, it gets to a works righteousness. And that gets pretty difficult. Okay, so you're saying it kind of puts us in the posture right. to receive what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And I think that's a good one. Yeah, because I don't want to make it too simple because, by the way, we're going to struggle with most of these things all our life and just saying, oh, if you just took these steps, that would, that would be the cure. It's not. But I also want to say that without those steps, it makes it much more difficult to do those things. To put ourselves into a disciplined posture to train ourselves, remember, to get past those weak knees and weak arms and running this race, it does require some work, not works righteousness, but some work to put us in a posture where we do it. That's why Jesus commended the things like when you fast, when you pray, when you give. He was, it was like an expectation. You are going to do those things so that you can be in the right posture that you need to be. Anyone else want to comment? Okay. That's a good intro to get us started. I'm hoping that each week what we'll do is we'll pick up a couple disciplines and we'll kind of have a similar list. Like what is it? What symptoms does it kind of seek to address? What are some practical steps you can take to actually do it? And I want to hear from you. You can like throw some up, say, hey, I don't think that would work, or this is the, the experience of my life. Feel free to push back. Let's close and uh, come before the Lord. Give him our new series this time. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us that we need to spend time remaining, abiding, dwelling in you. Thank you that it's not something that we do all apart from you. Thank you for the comments in this room as we seek to wrestle and understand better how to do these things. Lord, many of us have experienced these disciplines. We've heard about them. Change our heart, Lord. Use these not just as blunt instruments, but as really sharpened tools for the right reasons. And yes, Lord, as we were reminded, put us in a posture where you're the one doing the true change in us. Pray this in your name. Amen.